Welcome to Hope Denver again. And thank you, Carrie, for that awesome offering sermon. I think she's gonna be she's gonna be preaching up here someday pretty soon. I don't know if she knows that, but <laughs> it's it's in her blood, I can tell. Um, but my name's Kelsey Shepherdson. If I haven't met you yet, I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Denver. And tonight is our first night of our Advent series. Um, we're talking about Advent. We're talking about leading up to Christmas. The season of Advent is a time to contemplate and celebrate the birth of Jesus and how that brings joy and peace and hope to our day-to-day lives. And so that's what our themes are for the next three weeks. Tonight, we're talking about joy. Next week, Pastor Tyler's going to bring a word about peace. And then we have Kelsey Lasher sharing on our Christmas service about hope. So we have a really exciting next three weeks for you. Um, And like I said, tonight we're talking about joy. And last week I had the privilege of teaching in our elementary school Sunday school class. And the kids are learning about Christmas all month long. And their theme for their curriculum is actually joy as well. So that was kind of cool. And um, they define joy in a really cool way. And so I wanted to share it with you. In their curriculum it says joy is finding a way to be happy even when things don't go your way. And I just thought that was so good. I think sometimes definitions made for kids are, are way more helpful than any that we would come up with on our own. Um, that's so good, finding a way to be happy even when things don't go your, your way. And um, we, Krista Toll was actually my, she was my teaching partner last week, and at one point I think we both admitted to each other that we were teaching the lesson to ourselves as much as we were teaching it to the children because it was a really convicting reminder about joy and, and choosing joy and, and how we should always seek that. And the kids' focus statement for the month, it was so poignant that it's really stuck with me all week long as I've been preparing my sermon. It kept coming back to mind, and so I thought, you know what, I think this needs to be our focus for tonight as well. Um, So our focus statement tonight is we can have joy because God keeps his promises. We can have joy because God keeps his promises. How cool that that's what our kids are learning. Um, Let's pray. I want to pray one more time, and then we'll get into the scriptures. Dear Lord, thank you for your joy. Thank you, God, that, that we can have joy because of you, Jesus, and because of your promises, oh God. Thank you that um, you speak and reveal your truths to little children. And Lord, that we are your children, that even though we're adults here, that, that we are still your children. And thank you that you so gently teach us as well. And so we just invite you to speak to us tonight. And that not only would you speak to us about joy, but that each person here would have an experience of your joy um, as, we, as we dig into what it means to rejoice in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, um, you can turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be at verses 39 to 49. We'll get there in a few minutes. Um, This scripture will come up on the screen for you in a little bit. Not quite yet. But um, this is the story, what we're going to be looking at tonight. It's the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus, going to visit her cousin Elizabeth when they were both with child. So Mary is pregnant with Jesus. Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. And preceding this account, there are two important storylines that have been developing in the book of Luke. And I want to tell you those two stories before we get into the scripture because it's going to set up an important context for that exchange between Mary and Elizabeth. Um, And the first two chapters of Luke, I think might be, I'm I'm debating, but I think they might be my favorite two consecutive chapters in the whole Bible. So if if you get a chance later this week, go back and read the whole thing. Start at the beginning of Luke and just read the first few chapters through through to the birth of Jesus because they're just so 
good. I mean, this is about the happiest, this is the happiest story that's ever happened <laughs> on earth. This is the happiest story that there is. And so I would encourage you to read it. But I'm going to start with, with the first story. So the first story is about a man named Zechariah. And this is the story that is explaining to us how the birth of John the Baptist came to be. So please let me, let me share that with you. Um, we'll have a picture come up in a minute of an artist's rendering of Zechariah. I don't know if it's accurate at all, but basically there's this priest. His name is Zechariah, and he has a wife named Elizabeth, and they've been unable to bear children. They've been longing for children. They've tried for many, many years, and it hasn't happened, and now they're old. They're old in age, and it's, it's not possible anymore. And the angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah while he's serving in the temple. And he tells him, your wife is going to bear a son, and you are to name him John. And John means, what the name John means is it means Jehovah, or God, has shown a favor. That's actually my son's name. It's such, a, such an amazing meaning. He's saying God is showing favor on you by giving you this son. And then he goes on to tell him, he says, not only are you going to have a son, but he's going to be special. He's going to be a prophet He's going to prepare people for the coming of the Lord, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before birth. Now, this is pre-Jesus. We don't even hear about much about the Holy Spirit until after Jesus is, is crucified and resurrected. And he says he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even when he's inside of his mother's womb. And Zechariah hears all this, and, and his reaction is, how can I be sure of this? His, his, his immediate reaction is doubt. He's skeptical. And I love Gabriel's response to him because it's just so fierce. It's so good. He says this. He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to you to tell you this good news. I just, I love that so much. It's like, like, Zachariah must have been scared at that point. Like, I am Gabriel. Like, you better shut up. You know, that's, that's pretty scary. And he's, he's saying, yeah, of course I'm right. I'm, I'm sent by God. I'm an angel standing in front of you. What do you think? Of course I'm telling you the truth. But he says, as a sign to you that you'll know that what I say is true, you're not going to be able to speak until all of these things that I've just said have come to pass. And that's exactly what happened. From that moment on, Zechariah was mute. He had to communicate by writing. And uh, he came out of the temple. People knew that something had happened because he was gesturing wildly and, and not able to speak. And he, re he returns home. He returns home. His wife conceives. Uh, Elizabeth is overjoyed. And she praises God. And she says, the Lord has done this for me. And these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And I love that because that word favor comes up again. That's part of John's name, but she also repeats that in her praise, that God, you have shown me favor. Can you see why I love this story, how it's already good? I mean, any story that ends with someone having a baby is going to be good for me, but I think most women in the room. But um, yeah, this is just the best kind of story. I have one more story to tell you before we get into the text for tonight. This is, it's going to be worth it, trust me. Um, so the second story is about how the birth of Jesus came to be. So when Elizabeth is six months pregnant with John, the angel Gabriel visits Mary. Now Mary, she's a young virgin, and what that meant in that society, she was probably around 13 years old. She's unmarried. She's engaged to a man named Joseph, which I know seems weird to us to be engaged at 13, but this was, this was common in the culture then. And Gabriel greets her, and he says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. 
Again, that word favor. The Lord is with you. And another translation of that, and the, the original translation is, is more akin to rejoice, favored one. Rejoice, favored one. Gabriel tells her that she will bear a son who will be called the son of the Most High God and that his kingdom and his rule will never end. And like Zechariah, Mary also responds with a question, but her tone is much different, we're told in this passage, that her tone is one of curiosity and innocence even. She says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? <laughs> it's kind of an obvious question. How is that even possible? And uh, we, we're told her tone is different because, because it's, we see that in how God responds to her and how, how Gabriel responds to her. Gabriel says, you will conceive by the Holy Spirit. And then he also offers her a sign as he did to Zechariah, but it's a little kinder. <laughs> it's a much kinder sign. He says, your cousin Elizabeth is going to have a child even at her old age, for no word from God will ever fail. So he gives her this promise. He tells her, this is how you're going to know, because I already have done something impossible. I'm about to, God's about to do something impossible in your life. Well, I already did something impossible, and I'm going to show you exactly what that is. And Mary responds. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. She, sh she takes God at his word. And Mary's just this exemplary example of faith, because she's just a girl, and Zechariah is a priest. You would think that he's the one who would know how to behave towards God, how to trust God. But no, it's Mary. It's, it's a person with low status who trusts God at his word. So this is where we're beginning in our text. Mary has been given this incredible promise. And now she's setting out to see with her own eyes what Gabriel has told her. So let's start at verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. So, so verse 39 here, it tells us that Mary, she hurried to visit her cousin, and, and who wouldn't, right? She hears this amazing thing, this impossible thing, and she has to see. She has to see for, with her own eyes that what Gabriel has told her about. And we learn in this passage that Mary is also now with child. So the conception through the Holy Spirit, that took place sometime between Gabriel's visit and now her arrival at the home of Elizabeth and Zechariah. And there's something really unusual and significant about the exchange of greetings here between Mary and Elizabeth. Because by cultural standards, Elizabeth is the more prominent and senior family member, which means a lot in this culture. That's not normal for us. But in this culture, it would be uh, very unusual for the less prominent member to be greeted this way. Um, however, Elizabeth, she honors Mary with a blessing and with an exuberant welcome rather than the other way around. She, she steps, kind of lowers herself below Mary. 
Picking back up in verse 41, it says that Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit upon hearing Mary's greeting, and she begins to prophesy. She says, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So through the inspiration, at this point, they haven't even talked yet. They haven't even explained what's going on in each other's lives. And she knows through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, she discerns that she ought to honor Mary as higher than her in status because Mary is the mother of the Messiah. This is the superior status of Jesus over John the Baptist is emphasized here, and Elizabeth is recognizing that. She's recognizing, although she has been blessed and shown favor, that God has blessed Mary with an even greater honor than she herself has received. And she's kind of, she's um, subverting herself under that. Verse 44, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So, as Gabriel prophesied, John is already filled with the Spirit in utero, which is so cool. He's able to sense that presence of Jesus, and he leaps with joy in Elizabeth's womb. And the Holy Spirit gives Elizabeth discernment to know that this is what's happening. He reveals to her that this is what's happening in her womb. And this is the purpose, we find here, that this is the purpose of John's prenatal filling with the Holy Spirit, that even from the womb, he prophesies about the Messiah through his mother, Elizabeth. He's already a prophet in the womb. How cool is that? And, um, and, and this is so neat because I think, I think, why did God fill him with the Holy Spirit even before birth? It was for Mary. It was for Mary. It was so that she would know. It was so that she would be comforted. And uh, in verse 45, it says, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. This is underscoring that faith of Mary that we talked about before, that that especially contrasted with that cynicism of Zechariah. Luke is emphasizing that Jesus came to upend status structures and to lift up and honor the lowly and the humble. Mary's a nobody, and Zechariah is respected and a priest, and it's Mary who pleases God because it's she who believes that his promises are true. And then what we see is we see Mary's beautiful response to this exchange. What an amazing, she must have been so overjoyed in this moment to see what God said was true with her own eyes, to have that, that, that amazing moment of prophecy over her as the mother of Jesus. And when she sees all this, when she sees these promises that God has made to her coming to pass, this is what she says. She says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. So there's this clear pattern in the book, in the first chapter of Luke. We're seeing that God does something for people. What he does is he extends favor and he extends grace. And then the proper response towards that is joy and praise. Joy and praise. And Mary recognizes in her song of praise that God has given his favor to her, even though she doesn't deserve it, even though she doesn't have noteworthy status. He's raised her from a position of lowliness. Mary calls God, she says in this, she says, my Savior, God, my Savior. And she's bringing to mind here, she's echoing the language that Gabriel used with her because he told her that the child to be born to her would be called Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. So she's echoing that language of of God as Savior. She's recognizing that God is her Savior. And that would have been meant something deep for Mary because she was a devout Jew. So, So she would have 
she would have seen this as not only is God my Savior, but he's sending a Savior through me. Now, I've stopped at verse 30, 49 for time's sake, but if you have a chance this week, like I said, go back and read all of those first two chapters of Luke and especially read the rest of Mary's song because it affirms this whole story of this miraculous conception and how that's really set in motion, God's salvation plan, and it affirms the idea that salvation is available today and that there will be complete salvation in the age to come. It's really great. You should read the whole thing. Um, but Mary, she's, what we see here is she's overcome with joy because she sees that God's kept his promise to her. And not only that, but he's kept his promise to her people. And he, he is saving, he's sending a Messiah for the Jews through her by partnering with her. How cool is that? Like Mary, we can have joy because God keeps his promises. That's our focus statement tonight. Joy has to be rooted in something unchangeable or else it's not really joy. Um, happiness is momentary, and happiness isn't bad. God gave us happiness, and, and I hope that all of you have many happy moments in your lives. Uh, but it, it comes and goes, depending on our circumstances. But heavenly joy can be strong, it can be lasting, because it's based in the character of God and in our identity in him. Our God is a promise keeper, and we're his dearly loved children, and we're favored. Did you know that? Did you know that in Christ, you are favored by God. That when the Bible says to Mary, when she hears that, that greeting, you are highly favored, we are highly favored because Christ's righteousness has been applied to us and we are now counted as highly favored by God. Psalm 512 says this, it says, Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favors with a shield. And you might not feel like you are righteous, but if you're in Christ, you are. If you're in Christ, you are counted as righteous, and you are highly favored by God. God favors those whose hearts are turned towards him in faith and love and humility. That's how we receive favor from God. Um, I went through a process this week of thinking, I was thinking about joy a lot, obviously, and, and where it comes from, and I was kind of just praying about it and asking God, you know, is God, is, is joy something that we, that you give us, or do we have to kind of come up with it ourselves, and and I feel like God really spoke to me, and, and he revealed to me that joy is something that you learn. It's something that I teach you. Um, it's a discipline. We, do, we have moments in life where God gifts us with joy, where we're just flooded with joy because God's giving us that gift. But more often than not in life, it's, it's a discipline. It's something that God teaches us as we invite him into our uncertainty and into our pain. And that's where he teaches us. So... We have to learn to be people who praise and who wait on his promises. We have to learn that. Now, we're going to, my, my sermon's especially short tonight because we're going to spend the next few minutes worshiping together. The worship team can start coming up. Because joy also comes through worship. That's because worship is all about reminding us of who God is and who we are. And as we worship tonight, I want you to reflect on two things as we're, as we're worshiping. I want you to think about God's favor and I want you to think about God's promises. And we're going to rejoice in those things tonight. And if you're sitting there and you're unsure what, it, what I mean by God's promises, if that sounds really weird and ethereal, I get that. And I would challenge you, if, if you're one of those people who don't, you don't really know what that means, get into your Bible this week and do a little scavenger hunt to find some promises of God. And you can even Google it. That'll help make it a little easier. It'll send you exactly where to go. But the Bible is full 
of God's promises towards his children. And I'm going to give you just a couple examples so you can have a little something in mind as we start to worship tonight. One of God's promises in the Bible, he says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. He says, I will satisfy your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed. He says, Jesus promised to prepare a place for us and to return for us someday. Jesus promised that he would send us the Holy Spirit to counsel us. God promises to redeem our pain and use it for our good. These are all things that God's promised us. I think so often we can lack joy in life because we're expecting from God things that he never promised, and we're forgetting the things he did promise. And so I think that's what we need to do tonight is release into his hands the things he never promised us. That's called being entitled. That's entitlement. But let's, let's bring to mind the things he has promised because he's promised us so much. He's promised us so much, and we can have joy because God keeps his promises. So if you stand with me, I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to spend some, spend some time in worship together rejoicing in who God is and who we are because of him and his love. Dear Lord, thank you. Thank you for your joy. Thank you, Lord, that you are a promise keeper. Thank you that because of Jesus that we also are counted as highly favored by God. Lord, thank you that you have made numerous promises to us in your word. And I pray that you would help us to cling to those tonight. I pray for those who aren't feeling very joyful right now, that you would lift them up out of the muck and mire, that you would set them on a rock, a firm place to stand. And Lord, that you would overflow our hearts with joy tonight as we remind ourselves of who you are and of who we are. In Jesus' name, amen.